And for the scripture reading, we will go to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, which says this. Here now the reading of God's holy word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, do help us to understand these concepts that are set before us. Help us to see Christ, the Messiah, as our King, even as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us to know this and to understand its implications for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we have been asking the question, how does Christ fulfill the office of prophet? How does he fulfill the office of priest? How does he fulfill the office of king? These terms, prophet, priest, and king, should sound familiar to you if you're familiar with the Old Testament. For in Old Testament times, there were prophets, there were priests, and there were kings who ministered amongst the Old Covenant people of God. Prophets spoke the word of God to the people. Thus says the Lord. They would receive visions or messages from God to deliver to the people. They spoke on behalf of God to the people. Thus says the Lord, the prophets would say, the priests would minister on behalf of the people at the tabernacle and later temple. They would intercede on behalf of the people. They would bring the people's prayers to God, offering up incense to the Lord. They would offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. They were mediators of a sort. They were go-betweens between God and the people in order to in order to facilitate the worship of God under the Old Covenant. There were priests under the Old Covenant. And there were also kings from the days of King Saul onward. Uh, there were kings who ministered amongst the, the Israelites. All three of these offices were held by different people, but we are saying that in Christ, in the Messiah, all three of these offices were fulfilled to the uttermost. They were fulfilled completely Christ did the work of God's prophet, of God's priest, and of God's king in a most perfect and absolute way. And so these questions and answers are very important for they help us to understand the work that Christ has accomplished for us. They also help us to understand who He is to us even now. He is the Word of God come in the flesh. We are to listen to Him. He is the great high priest, not of the order of Aaron, but of Melchizedek. And he is in heaven now interceding for us after having made atonement by his own blood for our sins. You see, he brings us to God. Through him we are able to come and to call God Father. He is also our King, brothers and sisters. He is also our King. What are kings? What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to rule people living in a particular realm. Kings rule over people living in a particular realm. I think for many of us, when we think of kings, we think of tyrants, for often they are. Oftentimes, earthly kings go about this business in a way that is all wrong. Biblically speaking, and according to God's design, 
Kings are to be His representatives on earth. Kings ought to, on behalf of God, rule over people in a particular realm. They ought to be concerned with upholding God's moral law. They ought to be concerned with ruling over people, being mindful of the fact that they themselves stand under God's authority. Kings, earthly kings, are not supreme, are they? God is supreme, and earthly kings ought to be mindful of that. But rarely do kings get this right. Oftentimes they turn into tyrants, serving themselves, serving their own interests, as if they were supreme, but they are not. In fact, if we consider the establishment of the kingdom of Israel, for a long time Israel was ruled by elders and then by judges. Soon the people of Israel wanted to have a king for themselves. You've probably been told in the past, because you all grew up in a certain kind of church, that that this was wrong and bad for Israel to do. That's not true. Not at all true. Uh, In fact, the promises made to Abraham long before uh, predicted the day when kings would come from Abraham. It is not at all true that it was wrong for the people to desire to have a king. Uh, What was wrong with the people's request to have a king? What was wrong with it? Does anyone remember? They wanted to have a king like all the other nations had. They weren't looking for the right kind of king. That was the problem. And if you want to know what was wrong with the people's request at the beginning, just look at Israel's first king. His name was Saul, and he was a disaster. He did not rule over the people, being mindful of God and of God's commandments. He acted on his own strength and according to his own wisdom, and God rejected him. But then another king was put into, into place. His name was David. He wasn't big. He wasn't strong. He wasn't impressive as far as the world was concerned. Saul was. David was a scrawny little shepherd boy. But God determined to set him on the throne. And David was known for being... What is the phrase? I think you know it. Why was he, why was he a good king? He was known for being a... Man after God's own heart. You, you read the story of King David and you say, what, what does this mean? Because he was flawed. He was a sinner. He did some very bad things, didn't he? And he didn't even repent of those bad things for a time until the prophet uh, confronted him. And then he confessed his sin and was relieved. You see, he did some very bad things. So what is meant that he was a man after God's own heart? Here is the meaning of it. As imperfect as David was... As imperfect as David was, he did have true and sincere faith. He did have a heart that desired to honor God. He had a humble heart where he lived and ruled even as a king in submission to God and to his law. Do you want to see evidence of that? Read the Psalms, many of which David himself wrote. As imperfect as this man was, he was a king who desired to honor God. He was a king also who desired to serve the people and to do good for them. David was the greatest of Israel's kings, and we know that he was a type of the Christ to come. The Messiah would descend from him. He was a type of the Christ to come. David was the best of Israel's kings, and he foreshadowed or pictured the type who was to come. And the Messiah, when he did come into the world, he would function as God's prophet, priest, and king. This passage that we have just read from Matthew chapter 2 makes it very clear 
There were people living in these days who were looking for the arrival of God's King, this Messiah King. They were looking for His arrival, and they were looking for Him so much that they knew where He would be born. In fact, Herod knew that he could ask certain people. The wise men um, came, and they were looking for this King, you see. And Herod knew that he could ask certain people. And so he called the chief priests and the scribes of the people. Where is this Christ to be born? They knew. They said, Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. What would the Messiah be? He would be prophet. He would be priest. He would also be king. But he would be a certain kind of king. He would be a ruler who would shepherd Israel. Think of it. Kings are often tyrants. And when kings are tyrannical, the nations that they lead languish and suffer. It would be miserable to live under a tyrant king. But can you imagine how good it would be to live under a shepherd king? A king who was humble? A king who did not serve his own interests, but was willing to lay even down his life for the good of his people? Can you imagine what it would be like to live under a king like that? A king who upheld justice and was mindful of God over him, you see? A king who lived for his people as a shepherd, his concern for his sheep. How wonderful it would be to live in a land like that. And we are saying that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was this kind of king. But what kingdom was Jesus and is Jesus king over? What kingdom? Any kingdom on earth? No, He is the King of God's kingdom. He is that King. And so when we ask, how does Christ execute the office of a king? There is some real richness here, brothers and sisters, for us to consider. How did He do it? How did He get the job done? That's how it was stated earlier in the first service. I think that's a wonderful way to put it. How did Christ get the job of God's king done? How did He do it? And the answer that is given to us is very rich. In subduing us to himself, the catechism says. Kings conquer, don't they? It's one of their jobs. Kings must sometimes conquer. And who did Christ conquer first as king of God's kingdom? He conquered us. He conquered the citizens of his kingdom first. You say, well, what is this about? Well, think of it. What kingdom were we born into, brothers and sisters? What kingdom were we born into? You were born into Adam, into the broken covenant of works, and you were born into the kingdom of darkness with Satan as king. That's the kingdom you were born into. And so what did Christ do? What does He do in order to establish and build God's kingdom? The very first thing He does is He subdues us. He comes to us and by His Word and Spirit, He brings our rebellious, sinful, and dark hearts in subjection to Himself. You understand this? He causes us to bow the knee before Him and to say, what is the confession that we confess by which we are justified? What is the thing that we say through the waters of baptism that that make us to be saved, that make us to be saints of God, children of God? Jesus is Lord. And if you wish, we say, Jesus is King. How does that happen? It happens because Christ, by His Word and Spirit, conquers us. He conquers our rebellious hearts. He captivates our wayward souls. Brothers and sisters, this is wonderful to consider. 
In Psalm 110, verse 3, we read, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. This is speaking of the future Messiah King. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. You say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a contradiction? Didn't you just say that Christ conquered us? And here, Psalm 110 speaks of the work of the Messiah King by saying they will offer themselves freely. These are not contradictions, brothers and sisters. How does Christ conquer His people to make them bow the knee to say Jesus is Lord except by winning their hearts? He wins their hearts and He so renews them by His Word and Spirit that they freely offer themselves up to Him as His servants. Do you see it? It's a marvelous truth to consider Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself. Secondly, we learn that he rules and defends us. So we bow the knee and we say, Jesus is Lord, and he remains our Lord. He rules over us as our Lord. We live in subjection to him. We seek to accomplish his will, his purposes. We seek to obey his law, and he does also defend us from the evil one. Here I have... The text that we have just read uh, cited again where it is said in Matthew 2.6 that this ruler, this Messiah King will shepherd his people, Israel. He will shepherd his people. So he defends us like a shepherd defends the flock from threats. He drives the wolves away. He defends his people. And he does also provide for them. He provides for them as a shepherd provides for his sheep. And then lastly we see, and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. Our enemies are his enemies because he is our king. His enemies are our enemies because we are citizens in his kingdom. And this great Messiah, shepherd king, restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. He's restraining his enemies now. He restrains evil, brothers and sisters. This is one of the things that should comfort our hearts as we sojourn in, this work, sojourn in this world. The Lord does hold back evil. He's doing this in fulfillment to what He promised in the covenant made with Noah. He's restraining evil in this world. He does this as our sovereign King, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He is restraining evil now, and He is conquering all of His and our enemies. He's conquering His enemies by bringing others to faith in Himself. In other words, He is continuously stealing away citizens from the kingdom of darkness and transferring people into the kingdom of light. Thanks be to God. He is doing this work even now. But of course, we know there will come a day where that that opportunity to be transferred from the darkness and into the light will end. When Christ returns, what will He do? He will judge. He will judge all those not in Him. All those who do not have faith in Him and who are left in their sins will stand before Him, not Not as Savior, but as judge. Uh, That will be a great and awesome day. It will be a day of great rejoicing for the people of God. It will be a day of fear and trembling for all who are not in Christ Jesus. May we be found in Christ Jesus, our great great shepherd king. Isn't this wonderful to consider, Uh, brothers and sisters? Christ is your prophet. Christ is your priest. Christ is your king. If anyone asks you, why don't we have prophets today? Christ has come. Christ has come. If anyone anyone asks you, why don't we have priests today? 
Answer, Christ has come. He's come. We do still have kings serving in the civil realm, but not in the church. Christ is the king of His church and over His people. And when He returns, all things will be put under subjection to Him. And what will He do? This is often forgotten. All things being put under His feet on the last day. He will then take all that is His as the great prophet, priest, and king of God's people. And He will deliver it to whom? To God Himself, to the Father. You see, Christ as our King uh, is, is mindful and was mindful of the fact that His work as Messiah was done in subjection to and in obedience to God the Father. So Jesus Christ the Messiah came to do the Father's will, having accomplished the Father's will concerning the salvation of the elect. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and He sat down there. One day all things will be made subject to Him. When He returns, He will make all things new and judge the wicked and bring His elect into the new heavens and new earth. And then Christ, as God's faithful servant, will do what? He will deliver all things to the Father, for indeed God is supreme over all, even over the Messiah. Thanks be to God for what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. Let's bow together and pray, and then we will go to corporate prayer after that. Father in heaven, we thank You for Jesus our King. We thank You that You have been merciful to us to, to move us to freely bow the knee before Jesus and to say that He is Lord. This is by Your grace alone. I pray that You would help those who have made this profession of faith to live more consistently as if Jesus were King. We have said that He is Lord. Help us to live as if He is Lord, O God. I pray that You would continue to subdue us that you would continue to bring us into this place of submission, O Lord, to you. We thank you for Christ, crucified and risen, and for this great confidence that is ours, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. Help us to know it, help us to believe it, help us to live as if it were true. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.